Welcome to part two of our interview with the head coach of Murrayfield Wanderers, physical education teacher and the founder of Happiness is Egg Shaped, Bruce Aitchison. In part two we discussed the Urwilly days, the birth of conditioned games, structured play, developing a performance playground and the importance of a teacher and coach's mindset. Thanks for listening to part one, we hope you enjoy part two. Moving on to some a little bit about education and then we'll, a couple of mindset myths after that. Obviously you've been you've got a vast amount of experience teaching. Is that right? mean I'm old? It's the nicest way I could write it. Um but I wondered if you've seen any difference in the mindset of students that you have in front of you nowadays or over the last little while if there's been any changes just maybe the way society's moved, technology, anything like that, and if you think that's had a particular impact on mindset? That's a that's a huge question, uh, yeah. but one that massively interests me because it's got so many social aspects to it. Um, from a tiny little village in the borders where Saturday night meant being in the park playing football with men, women... Uh, kids younger than you, teenager, the the village was in the park playing football, and there was so many things that you learnt from that situation. There was no point in my team winning ten nil because that's not fair, and as soon as it's not fair, people opt out. So you swapped that player to that player, and you right, you're only allowed two touches. You're not allowed to score. So actually, from playing in the park in Stow, I was exposed to conditioned games very very early because if it's not fair why would you bother so you had to maintain an element of fairness and challenge to engage people and that was that was a brilliant place to learn because for football was king and then if something happened like the Six Nations somebody would produce a rugby ball and you would play rugby and for two weeks at Wimbledon you put a bit of string across the road and you played tennis when it was summer, we all played cricket. Some people could bowl, some people couldn't. Somebody had a bat. You just that was what you did. But that was the social event. But life was very different. Lots of us had mums who stayed at home and dads who went to work. And I went to school with kids who my dad went to school with because that's where they were from. And there wasn't a huge amount of movement, I suppose. We didn't have internet, we had four TV channels which when the kids' programmes were finished, the kids' programmes were finished and it, it was different but if we keep looking back, you know, my my parents would say, oh, life's so different, look at everything you've got. You know, every generation's going to look at the one before and go, oh, aye, but you're old, stop moaning about us. And that's, that's very much how I feel the kids get so much negativity from older people if we keep doing it they're going to start to believe it it is different uh, the the exposure to things the competition for a kid's leisure time for parents time you know most kids are in houses where 
whoever it is, parent or carers, are out to work. The the days of stay-at-home parents are, are almost gone. So that then means that a lot of that play has become something you pay for. You pay to go to football. I went and played in the park, but now people pay to be part of a club for an hour a week and they're dressed from head to toe in football kit that costs a fortune, whereas you just went to the park and played in your old trainers and then your good trainers became your old trainers <laughs> and they became your football trainers. That that idea, I know it sounds a bit ur-woolly looking <laughs> back with those tinted specs, that was where I came from and now I live in the city and what the kids have access to is unbelievable, but a lot of it costs money. Mm-hmm. But there is so much to do. They could be at a skate park, they could be playing football, they could be climbing a hill, riding a bike, they could be anywhere for free. But if those things are not valued and they've not got role models exposing them to that, they're not going to choose that. I remember when soon after I started at Tyne Castle, we had a girl who was as determined and motivated and aggressive as ever I've seen in fourth year. And she hadn't quite found the thing that she wanted to do. And she tried rugby, but it just wasn't quite suited to her. And I got in touch with a rowing club who would only let her go and have a session if we paid the 90 quid joining fee because of insurance. And she didn't have 90 quid to sit in a boat and try it once a week. So I'm not saying she would have become a gold medal rower, but she didn't get the chance. And that's a massive frustration and facilities that close early. We don't have the culture of playing till the streetlights come on, but now the streetlights are on before school's finished. How do we how do we get them back to the playground? How do we get them back playing? How do we see value in that? How do we get people to say it's safe for them to be out on their own and get home safely? It's a it's a big concern and as a parent looking at it, my daughter's go to things, they have they have a lot of exposure to things at school, which is great. But if I just keep looking back and thinking mine was better, my childhood was better, then that's not going to be positive for them. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to create the best situation for them to try the things they want to try. But they've got far more options than I had. And that's something else that we're dealing with now that a lot of minority sports are now growing because there's more exposure to them, they're easily accessible, transport's better, there's there's ways and means to get about it. What I think we need to do, you know, the Icelandic model for football is fantastic. Sports coaches are seen as a viable, worthy profession. They have regional centres, they have facilities that are open. Now, Iceland's climate is tougher than here but they're managing to do it somebody was telling me that Orium's £200 an hour Mm -hmm. you know great that facility if you've got £200 a week for an hour's training session it's it's unattainable for a massive percentage of the population how I would like the government and council to go about it is create chances for kids to get back into playgrounds and play and learn those skills that I think I got of Conditioned games, making things fair, playing, learning a lot about yourself, going home crying because you've been hammered by a Big Brothers team, but going back the next day to try and beat them. Mm-hmm. You know, I I got that experience, and my brothers still wind me up about it. But that gave them a lot of joy. It gave me 
a bit of learning to what do I do? How do I get motivated to do that? We we give them too many easy outs because I think we as adults, as teachers, are we're as scared of failure as they are. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we really need to address very, very quickly. Just touching back on, there's a, a coach down in England, he's at Bristol Rovers, Johnny Henderson, and he put something together, it must be a couple of years ago now, called the Performance Playground. And a lot of the work they do at Bristol Rovers within the youth um, youth ages is to try and get back to that playground thing where it's older players mixing with the younger players, it's games, the coaches are taking a step out, letting them play. I was at a conference in Stirling not that long ago where they had Jim Ryan, the ex my United coach up, and, they sh- and Paul McGuinness, and they shared videos of Pogba and Lingard growing up, and they said they had the cage, and all these players went in, and the coaches stepped back and let them play. Do you think it's a responsibility then for not just the professional clubs, but any club who's asking parents for money or paying subs, that it's their responsibility as well to try and bring that kind of performance playground back because kids aren't doing it off their own accord now? I think if if parents are paying for something, they would probably say, what am I paying for? If you did that, I was speaking to a guy who I used to play against and he's been away and been a professional in another sport and he's come back and he's coaching a youth football team in Edinburgh and he was saying how different the club is. It's the club he played for. And he said, you used to get there early to help set up but get a kickabout before training. He said, now the kids arrive one minute before the session, and as soon as the session's finished, they disappear, and there's no engagement from the parents to come and help or ask how things are going or if you need any help, and the kids are there for the service that you're providing, and then they leave. And that's... We've stopped the the gym rat kind of idea of first one in and last one to leave, the Michael Jordan that was there practising on his own before the session and then stayed after to work on the things they needed to work on. And how do we how do you create that when you've booked the pitch for an hour? How do you how do you build that in? It's really, really tough. But there are parents who seem to manage but there are other parents who find it really difficult and the kids have to want it enough, whether it's practising their guitar, you know, or, or shut up, stop making that noise how do you get better at playing the guitar without making noise, how do you get better at playing football when there's signs up saying no ball games You know, I, I'm 38 and I could still kick a ball against the wall all day and not get bored but kids now probably need more stimulation because they've got more things going on, there are more distractions as soon as there's two people there you've got a game me and my middle brother we used to go to a place in style called the Tar and we used to play what we called one each end with a miniature basketball and you had one touch and you had to score and so you ended up defending somebody smacking the ball at you but also being able to strike first time and volley and you were defending, you were attacking but you only had one touch but we used to play that for hours and hours and hours just the two of us and then if there was three people there it was winner stay on and if there was four people there you had 2v2 in it that was the playground and that's again reflecting on teaching I have a second year class where I recreated the playground because some of them were really quick at changing room and I thought why am I getting them to sit and wait for the rest of them so when one person came in I gave them a ball and they got to run and shoot and as soon as the second person came in it was one against one cross court that's a big ask cross court basketball (laughs) one against one 
and then the third person came in and they got a ball in the middle court and then the next person came in as well. so I built it up from one against one to two against two and then three against, and then when the whole class were in I'd done the register as they were busy and we were ready to go on with the lesson but they'd already made however many decisions those that were keen had got the reward of yeah. being keen and those that weren't it didn't get as much time to practice John Wooden the American coach he used to say if the kids didn't show a good attitude he'd turn the lights off and say right you've lost your chance to get better today so I kind of reversed that if they're coming in I'm giving you a chance to get better rather than sitting waiting and you know PE teachers when they walk into a games hall kids stop running the kids I've got in early think they're not supposed to run when a teacher walks in yeah I've, and I've been that teacher I've said sit down whereas now it's like hang on why am I stopping them doing the thing I want them to do so now I let them go up and charge around but now I'm trying to mould it a wee bit by there's a ball there's what we're working on today or there's the ladder to go through or the cones to go through to see if you can practice and I'll get you to show everybody trying to give them as much time again back to that point I made earlier the thing we all want is more time well if we can steal two minutes there while everybody else is getting changed, that might be two minutes that makes quite a big difference to that person. And it might be two minutes that makes everybody else move two minutes quicker. In which case, in, in across a, a whole class, I've actually gained an hour's worth of activity. Which, when you put in those terms, is kind of mind-blowing, because otherwise they would have been sitting waiting for the register. Yeah. And that's an hour's worth of activity for kids in my class sat down waiting for a register, which, let's face it, is of minor importance for what we think is is important for our class. So the the, the bit about the playground I think is really important. The, the playgrounds now, you know, any patchy ground used to be fair game. But, you know, back to my Willie days, there was this many cars on the road. We used to build a play tennis and then if a car came it was like Wayne's World, car! You stopped playing and then the car went past you play you know, the number of cars we bashed and you had to go underneath to get the ball or gardens you had to cling over. Grumpy Green used to go bananas when we went to get the ball out of his garden. But that was all part of the fun and games. And that's the thing, I think you touched on it earlier about sometimes looking back and sometimes you maybe forget what's happening in front of you or how to go forward, but I still think when you look back there is some key things that you can take from that and then I think it's our responsibility as both teachers and coaches to go right these were the bits that have clearly worked and have clearly helped us develop we know it works, how can we now make it applicable for today's generation of kids? As soon as you get to teenagers or young adults they ask your under 20s how many of them own a football the guy coach a rugby team what do they do when they're not training they go to the gym I would reckon if I asked them hardly any of them would actually own a rugby ball so they're not even you know playing my ball you know and I've got a rugby ball I'm 38 years old I take my dog for a walk at night and I take my rugby ball with me and I throw it up and down and I throw it different ways and I clap my hands and I turn around and I do all because that entertains me and the neighbours think who is this guy but they want they're playing football they're playing rugby you know tennis but they're expecting it to happen when they go to training yeah rather than training being the now I'm getting direction or input from somebody else you know how many of them are coming to you saying I thought about this and I need to get better at this I mean you, your eyes would pop out your head and you would probably be silent for three seconds while you go over the shock and then you'd be thinking 
I'm in here, how do, I, how do I help this person that's already engaging in their own learning and performance? That, you know, it's, uh, that feedback tends to be a one-way street, coach to player or teacher to kid. When we get asked a question, sometimes we can really dismiss it because it doesn't fit with what we think, but it's obviously been important to that player or kid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next one is in, in Dweck's book, Mindset, in the revised edition, um, there's a, a part about the mindset of teachers, and she talks a lot about the importance of a teacher's mindset just towards their beliefs on learning and especially their, the students they have in front of them. So how important do you think a teacher's mindset is? Oh, it, it makes the weather in a classroom, absolutely. And it's that's the tough bit because teachers are human, so they're going through a lot of the same things kids are going through. Um angry, I'm sad, something's happened, I'm distracted, whatever it may be. But as I've said to probationers, students, anybody that's willing to listen, that's where I think you become the actor of a teacher. The, a lot of the kids are not bothered their backside. If you've missed your mortgage payment, your cat's died, your car needs MOT, they just want you to be their teacher. So I think you can be their friend where they're able to tell you anything because that's part of your job but they don't need to know those things that are going on they need you to be the teacher which sometimes can be really really tough mm. and really tiring But and it gets slightly easier with experience for certain individuals some individuals don't get better as they get older just in the same way that some people become poorer drivers because they pick up bad habits any job is the same and that's why things like this and reflecting on your mindset in the classroom is so important because, as I said earlier, when something goes wrong or a kid doesn't get something or a whole class doesn't get something, the chances are that's me. I haven't found the way they learn or I haven't explained it clearly or demonstrated it or given them enough opportunity to play with it and learn it and fail at it and then work out a better way to do it. So that's where a lot of the reflection comes in. The teachers have to be given time to reflect. I think back to that time thing again. Uh, you know, we would all like more time, but sharing ideas around how do you deal with a situation like that. You know, kids are going to come through the door and you see every kind of kid, but you see them every year. So there's very few kids are walking through your door and you've never seen that situation mm. before, whether it be learning, behavioural, uh, knowledge, a real high flyer, somebody with really low levels, whatever it may be, nothing tends to be brand new. So as long as you're able to recall how it worked before, that's your first port call, but you're also dealing with a completely different human being who might not respond to the thing you've done before. And if you're not reflective, it'll become their fault. If you're reflective, then you're saying, right, I need to find the way to deal with this. And I've got, I've had classes where every lesson's been a chore because I've never got there. Whether that be the class changing and I've not been able to change with it or I got off to a bad start. But by the flip of that, I've also had classes where I skip to it and so do they and you know the clock ticks down and everybody goes oh I'm sad that's finished and 
Kobe Bryant said that when he's in the zone, everything slows down. I totally disagree. I think everything speeds up. It's just that you can do it quicker. You know, I've you've watched a movie, you've been in a conversation, you've been with somebody, and then you've gone, oh, is that the time? Because time's just flown by because you've been so engaged. You've not procrastinated. You've not been looking at your watch. You've not because you've been so engaged in whatever it is you're doing that time's actually gone, and you were in that zone. You were engaged in that moment of conversation of basketball of reading of watching TV whatever it may be and that that mindset for a teacher is really important if the teacher is looking at the clock the kids are going to be looking at the clock if the teacher is passionate about what they're doing I think kids like storytellers whether you're a history teacher or a PE teacher they like storytellers they, they remember Stories. They remember when you told them that, or you made them laugh, or you you made them cry, or they remember stories. They don't often remember that preparation, action, recovery of an overhead clear, because actually, in the big scheme of things, the preparation, action, recovery, and overhead clear is of minor importance to them. But how you made them feel, and the experience you gave them, and the chance to learn, and the the time you gave them of yourself—that's the thing that they remember. And teachers. I think can very easily lose that and staff rooms can be a really dangerous place for teachers mindset because if things are not going well it's easy to be negative and somebody said to me very recently you're always so positive uh, maybe people need to see you being more negative <laughs> and I thought what an odd thing to say because I think there's, there's heaps of negativity and life isn't it all butterflies and rainbows but I don't think anybody needs to know the stuff that's going wrong. I think people get far more out of the positivity and the sunshine and rainbows because there are people that you cross the street when you see them coming. I would rather people didn't they cross the street when they saw them coming. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe they do because they're <coughs> positive. No, that's great and it's, it's something I'm, I'm very with you on that as well and actually speaking to some students today and asking them, you know... I had a cover in a bottom set maths class last period of the day and said to them, you know, what, what do you think makes a, a, a good teacher? And the, the answers are really surprising. It's just not what you might think they would say. And a lot of the, the, one of the first things they came up was, well, they need to be strict, but not overly strict. You know, they need to manage the class because we want to learn, but they just, you know, we don't want them too bad. And oh, we like them when they're eh, kind of talking to us about stuff and, you know, it's very similar to what we would want as adults, really, in terms of a person that we would meet. Uh, so I don't think you're. I think you're buying on the money with that one in terms of just being positive. And I definitely agree with the fact that they will remember. And when you think back to coaches or teachers, you can't remember what they've said to you, but the thing you take back is how they made you feel as a person. Something I would love to. I'd love to see it happen. It'll never ever happen. But a head teacher to say to the kids one day, right? Tomorrow you make your own timetable you turn up for those six periods, you go to the door of the teacher you want to be taught by and there would be a lot of teachers with empty classrooms and there would be a lot of teachers where it would be like the Indian Railway, there'd be folks sitting on the, the window yeah. ledge or saying to a kid, right, how much would you pay to be in that class? If you give a monopoly money, you've only got that, which teachers would you pay to go and see? And while that obviously is not scientific, but 
it would give you an idea of where kids felt a sense of belonging, where they were treated, uh, and I think some people would be quite surprised by that. But the, the the seat I've always tried to put myself in, if I was a kid, would I want to have me as a teacher? If I was a player, would I want to have me as a yeah. coach? And I did that when I first became a coach, when I first became a head coach at Watsonians. I was young because I'd had my knee operation and it hadn't worked. Uh, and I became a head coach at Watsonians and I thought I needed to control everything so the detail I put into session plans the feedback I gave the players must have been sick of me because I was at them all the time and I wanted to control everything and talking about mistakes if the mistakes were things we hadn't it was almost like a personal insult that they'd made that mistake because that wasn't the plan that wasn't what we'd practised and I needed to have that entire control over everything and that became crazy for me and probably crazy for the players and led to a lot of the mistakes that happened both for me, for the team, for the club came from my need for being a young coach and thinking I need to have everything whereas actually understanding what you can control trying to find the things that have the biggest bang for your buck and putting time and effort and energy into that is probably the biggest bit of learning I've had <coughs> in my time as a coach and where I've where I've moved to. Teachers can often focus on the things that are not going well, the things that they need, the thing rather than here's the hand I've been dealt. Yeah. And I'm gonna create as positive an environment as I can for each and every one of those kids. And we could all take out that kid and that kid and that kid for that class and expect the class to run smoothly. But actually you'd be surprised how often that's not the case and how that body of people have become that group and that's how they move through their day or that's how they move through their season and what you've got to do is try and give them the environment, the opportunities to to do the best they can do and hopefully it gives you some success and I don't mean that in trophies and league points or exam results but they're better than they were they're better than they were towards targets and if anything they've exceeded those targets Thanks for listening. Any feedback, tweet us at The Curve Mindset or email us at thecurvemindset at gmail.com. Thanks.